Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. For instance, a couple examples just from this last year is that um, I think this church gave towards this, is that in Ukraine right now, we've had an ongoing response. There's four square churches throughout Ukraine, and so it's not that we are going to do something. We get to bring resources and training together and come alongside our brothers and sisters in Ukraine as they feed people. They've started a bakery. They're giving jobs. They're, we helped them get a boat so they could take supplies to, to villages that couldn't have food. These are the kinds of things that Foursquare Disaster Relief has the, the privilege of doing. Um, just a few months ago in Maui, you know, we all know about that devastation. But the thing is, we have a Foursquare church in Maui. And so it wasn't that we were going in and setting up camp, which is sometimes the big organizations do that, and that's awesome. We need them. We partner with them. But what we got to do is send firefighters and first responders from throughout the nation there to come alongside that local church, train them how to work with trauma, give them financial resource so they could be who Jesus had positioned them to be, to pray and care for their community in the points of crisis. And so... Um, as we talk about Foursquare Disaster Relief this, this season, um, when you give to Foursquare Disaster Relief, you're really, what, your, your gift goes to these kinds of places. And they go to other churches, just like here. And if there's a mo- time when it comes when Brooklyn has a disaster or crisis, guess what? Other churches from around the world are going to give, and we're going to say, hey, how can we be your brothers and sisters in this time? And Foursquare has churches in 150 nations around the world. There's over 80,000 gathering places. Uh, some, the numbers come in, I, yeah, it's hard to count that. But, but the point is, is that we have people respond, placed all around the world to show the love of Jesus in the most um, difficult times. And so and during this season of extending hope, I want to thank those of you who have partnered, thank this church, and invite you to be a part of that. This is this year's Christmas campaign. We always do a little different with neighbors because really what we do is say, hey, how do we help churches and the people of God be a good neighbor in the the moments of um, disaster? And if you just click through there, Kevin, real quick, we'll go through this. We work with churches. This kind of shows how we go. You can keep going. I don't need to all the kinds of things that gifts go towards. And then I think one more slide and we're good. Um, you can give directly through that QR code or you can talk with Bryant if you, wanna, if you feel stirred to be part of that. But um, I know this church already has and I wanna say thank you and just encourage you that when we um, understand that what we have belongs to the Lord and that he cares for us but he also uses us to care for others, we get to be part of some pretty incredible things. So um, I think that's what I will say about that directly right now, and um, we'll jump into the scriptures for today. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that we, as followers of Jesus, are not alone. We're not going at it by ourselves, but Lord, you've placed us in a family and in this community of believers and within a global family, and we get to be part of what you're doing. And this morning, as we come to the scriptures, we pray that, 
Lord, we wouldn't hear anybody's voice but yours. And Lord, as you speak to us, you would um, give us the courage to respond to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Today, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or your device, you can go ahead and get there. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll read it in a moment. Um, and we are going to gather, be looking at this idea that you and I, in the, as followers of Jesus, if we've made that decision to follow Jesus, that even in the midst of disruption, Jesus is inviting us to join him on his mission. That in the midst of disruption, Jesus invites us to join him on his mission. Um, as we get started, I want to share with you about a disruption I experienced in my life. Because the truth is, you and I, we all get disrupted all the time. Some of us, more than, depending on the age of our children, probably get disrupted or interrupted um, more often than others. But um, we get disrupted. We get surprised by things. And this particular disruption in my life happened on the day of my college graduation. And um, I was excited. I was the kind of kid, like, I guess I was a kid. Now it's a long time ago, I'm getting old. I was the kind of college student that like wanted to get out. Like, you know, there's ones that love being in college and then there's ones that like, I have places to go and things to do and my parents won't let me quit, so I better just finish. So that was the kind of college student I was. And so I was so excited, I had finally made it. I had graduated from college I, with a degree in intercultural studies. I was ready to go see the world. Like, I was like, deuces, I'm out of this country, let me go. And so this is the mindset I had as I showed up to my graduation party. And let me just pause for a second and make sure we're on the same page because at least in my kind of world, there's certain presents that are expected when you graduate. And when you graduate, graduates kind of expect what? Anybody like money? Yes, thank you. Yes, money is the expectation. And I had plans for it, right? I was gonna go see the world. We were ready to go. And so I walk into my graduation party at my parents' house and I, it's great, it's gonna be awesome. Join myself and then my parents' friends, I'm gonna call them that, not my friends. My parents' friends walk in and they have a box. And they come up to me and they're like, open this, open this right now. And I was like, okay, you know, what's this? And I open it up and there's actually a picture here, I think. And inside this box is a live baby And just because that doesn't seem like a real story, I brought the picture. And um, I, this is a little ridiculous, but my whole world kind of froze. And in that moment, I was so disrupted and surprised, and I was like paralyzed. Everything that's, go I like smiling here, but that is not how it felt on the inside. Because on the inside, I'm literally like melting down, I'm like, what am I gonna do? I had, like, I did everything right. I have nothing holding me here. I have no children, no boyfriend. I'm like ready to go to the nations and now I have this duck and I have to care for him. And now I'm never gonna be able to do God's will in my life because I'm stuck because of this duck and I'm having like a complete meltdown inside because I was disrupted and encountered something I wasn't in, um, expecting. I'm, I'm like, I was literally was in the garage like crying to my father. 
And, and the truth is, I don't actually remember that much else from that party. Um, sometimes when I tell this story, I forget to tell the end of it, and then everybody does not like that. So the duck named Pig lived a summer with us. Um, but um, he ended up being taken to a farm. Um, part of the story that I did leave out is that I did live in Los Angeles at this time. So it's not like I was in a farming community. Like, it was just the most bizarre thing. But I share this story with you because this is like, this isn't a bad thing. But it still disrupted me. It still made me, I was so surprised by it that I couldn't even recover um, to like enjoy what that day and that season had for me. And the truth is, is that you and I, we live in a time, we live in a world where we get disrupted not by cute baby ducks. We get disrupted by job losses and betrayals and wars and like all, in crisis and in all kinds of things, things that break our hearts. And just like that duck, and probably on a much deeper level, often it leaves us kind of paralyzed. And we thought we had a direction, we thought God had a plan for us, and then all of a sudden, we're left not knowing what to do next. And so that's what I want us to think about today, is what happens in those places? What is Jesus' invitation to us? Is the disruption meant to stop, or is there another invitation somewhere in that? And the good news for us is that we're not the only ones to ever have experienced this kind of disruption. We're not the only ones to have been left reeling when life didn't go as it was supposed to, or maybe more directly, when God didn't do what we thought he should do. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, also had this experience. They lived through it, and in fact, in their journey, in their process of following Jesus, of saying yes to his invitation, even when he didn't do what they thought he should do, gives us some tools to learn how to navigate those places in our own lives today, or maybe in ones that we will face in the future. So if you join me in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, as we look and at this passage to get some, just make some observations about how, what happens when we are disrupted, when God doesn't act the way we expect him to. And just a reminder, we're picking up the story here after the resurrection Jesus has died. He's come back to life. It's about 40 days. He's been with his followers making appearances. And he's about ready to ascend to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come. This is where we're picking it up. So this transition from the, the time of Jesus, when Jesus was walking with his disciples, to the time of the church. Acts you know, the name of the, the book of Acts is Acts of the Apostles, but in many ways, it's the story of the, the church. It's our story. And the acts are really the acts of the Holy Spirit as he comes and dwells among his people. And so I love the book of Acts because it, it gives us so much insight of how we 
walk out, how we actually live this gospel, this message that Jesus gave us. And so this is the point in the story we're picking up here. And in verse 6, it says this, And so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So number one, Jesus invites us to transformed expectations. In, our points, in these points of disruption, the first thing this passage shows us is that Jesus invites us to have our expectations transformed what makes me say that? Well, let's start in that first part, in verses 6 and 7. We see that this starts with the, the apostles, the disciples, the, Jesus' friends, his followers, asking a question. You can learn a lot from the types of, from what questions people ask, right? Sometimes you can learn, a, if you pay attention, when someone asks a question, you can learn a lot about what they're expecting. I personally sometimes get very frustrated with Janelle, who here on staff, because she's always asking questions, and, and we're pretty good friends, uh, and, and so like sometimes she asks me a question, and I know like what she thinks, but she's not telling me what she thinks. Instead, she's asking me a question so I can discover it, right? And so, and I get so annoyed because there, you can learn something from people's questions. It's actually a gift. But I tell you that story because I want us to think about what we learn from the questions the disciples are asking here. If we learn that the disciples don't yet fully understand what's going on. Actually, they don't really understand at all what's going on. Because they've walked with Jesus for three years. They've seen him crucified, come back to life, appear to like the 500. All of this is going on and they're still like, so when are we going to war with the Romans? That was a nice warm up. Because remember, this passage, this story is taking place in the midst of a people who are oppressed, who are subjugated, who are colonized, whatever the word is, by, a Roman by the Roman Empire. And so they've seen Jesus, all of this happen, but they're still thinking like the end of the story must be the military, a military victory. What else would prove that Jesus' kingdom is more than the Roman Empire? They still don't get it. And I relate to that so much. Because so often I find myself asking God questions that kind of reveal how I would like him to handle situations. And he responds to me kind of similarly to the way Jesus does here. And Jesus says, it's not 
for you to know the time. There's certain questions that it's not that there's not answers to them. It's that they're, that's not the part we're, that we're supposed to carry. That Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows how the kingdom is, has come and is established, but he's like, that's the wrong question. And it revealed to him, it reveals to us that the disciples, despite having all of this experience with Jesus, still have to have their understanding of kingdom power, of the kingdom of God transformed. Because all of us, just like them, have our assumptions shaped by the kingdom and the empires around us. There's things that we don't even know we think because we are so influenced by the world we live in. And for these followers, for these guys who love Jesus and would give their life for him, they're still like, when is everybody going to know you're better than Caesar? That's their question. And don't we ask questions like that sometimes? Don't we sometimes have our expectation of how God's will is going to be done shaped by things. And we say, Lord, if, man, everybody in my office would know you're with me if I got promoted. Lord, I could reach my, you know, if I had more, if I got paid more, Lord, I would give more money away. Like, get me a raise. Lord, if, if we had a different meeting space, Lord, we would preach to more people, and we start bargaining around kingdom, around like worldly things and the way the world brokers power, and we've missed the fact that the kingdom of God is completely different, that the kingdom of God does not operate that way. And so if we're going to be people that respond to Jesus' invitation to live on mission, we have to allow him to transform our understanding of what kingdom power and the kingdom of God is. That it's not that we are trying to take the power from that other people have and give it to God. All the power belongs to him already. It's that his power operates completely differently. And you and I, we have to allow Jesus to change the way we think so that we can understand this. And it says, um, and G part of Jesus' reply here is that the that, um but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, into the ends of the earth. And this is a really interesting passage because Luke is writing, you know, that's the author of Acts in, the, in this context of the empire. And when he starts, the, the, this picture he's painting of being sent out actually has some, like, it reminds us of what would happen when there was a new Caesar. Because what would happen is when Caesar died and there was a new Caesar, what happened was that they didn't have to send armies out to reconquer. They had to send heralds out, messengers, to let people know what had already happened. That the old Caesar was no longer in power, but there was a new Caesar. That the that it wasn't a conflict, it was a declaration, it was an infor informing. And it's so interesting that this is the picture Jesus is giving his disciples. He doesn't say, get up, go, and take the power from everybody else. He says, get up, go, and tell everybody that, that it's done, 
Jesus is king already. And so to me, this is such an important shift of understanding because sometimes as we go through life and we experience um, disappointment and opposition and, and, and pain and suffering, we think we have to take out all these other people or things that oppose the ways of God. And the truth is, is that Jesus is already king of all those places. And the kingdom of God, the, that kingdom power operates completely differently than any other power. And this power, you know what it does? It's the power to go, not to consolidate. It gives us power to give instead of keep for ourselves. It's the power to give witness and testimony instead of to conquer. Because Jesus is king already. You and I are invited to proclaim that. And I think an interesting um, example of this is actually in the first part of Luke, which is the first volume of Acts, um, written by the same author. And in the beginning of Luke tells us the story of Jesus entering, right? And so there's kind of two stories. Luke is the story of how Jesus, the king, came and, and entered and transformed our reality, right? Salvation incarnate, the God incarnate. And then Acts is like the second volume that, that expands on that. And like, how does this happen now among us? Not just in Jesus, but among his church. And in Luke chapter 2, we, it's a familiar story, right? It's Christmas story. The angels show, show up and they say, good news, great joy for all people. And today, even in these places where we see conflict and power and disappointment, that's still our message. It's a declaration. It's good news. The, Jesus is good news for everybody. And when we look at what happened in Luke 2, I think this is fascinating. It helps give, give us some perspective in the midst of our disruptions and disappointments. Luke chapter 2 starts with this. It says, in the days of Caesar Augustus, right? And Caesar gave a word in Rome, and all the world had to bow to it and go take a census. And it seemed like Caesar's was in charge forever. And it seemed like he dictated where Mary and Joseph went, and yet somehow in the midst of the rise and fall of empire, emperors and empires, God was working out his will and his salvation. And Jesus was born, and he lived, he died. And 300 years later, the emperor was a Christian. And today we only remember Caesar Augustus as it is compared because he was in Jesus' story. And we understand that without any confrontation of military or worldly power, the kingdom entered humbly with, and, and unseen on the margins, without power, without money, without resources, and turned the world upside down. That is this kingdom power that Jesus is saying he has given. He is giving us. The answer is not when are we going to be in charge. The answer is not when are you going to kick the bad guys out. Jesus answers instead. He says, but I will give you power. And it's not power to rule and conquer and, and, and control. It's power to give, to go, to love, to, to heal this is the kingdom power that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. 
And the amazing thing about this power is that it works wherever we're at. Jesus was speaking to people who were enslaved by an empire, marginalized, broke, <laughs> all the things. And he says, but I'm giving you power that's going to change the world. And you and I, we still, we still have that gift. And I don't know about you, but so often I'm waiting for God to do what I think he should do in the way I think he should do it, that I miss the fact that he has already sent the Holy Spirit. And he is in us and among us. And this power sends us and allows us to be part of changing the world. And when we respond to Jesus' invitation, we become proclaimers and not conquerors. So first, Jesus invites us to a transformed expectation that we operate with kingdom power, but just totally different than any other kind of power. And second, Jesus invites us to unexpected places. In verse 9, we... This, this picture is painted for us. The disciples are on the mountain. They watch Jesus ascend. This is blowing their minds. Like, we're, we may be used to this story if we grew up in church, but they're like, what is happening, right? Jesus is ascending in bodily form. Like, it's not just his spirit. Like, his body is going to heaven. They're watching this, and they're just like, And then all of a sudden, the angels show up, right? And what do they say? <laughs> Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? And, and it's a familiar question. It sounds pretty, it might sound familiar to us if we've read Luke. Because in Luke 24, there's angels that show up too in the empty tomb. Do you remember that? And the women come and they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus had risen. And here the angels show up again, and they're like, why are you staring up into heaven? I'm like, because Jesus just went that way. It's an important question, though, that I think you and I still have to wrestle with, because just like those disciples, just like those women, we're always kind of a little behind what Jesus is actually doing. <laughs> and I also think that sometimes we want to stay in the last place we encountered Jesus, right? I don't blame those disciples. I would be there with them. I'd be like, oh my gosh, my goodness, what just happened, right? Like, Jesus went that way. Is he coming back? What's going on? Maybe we should just stay here. Like, is he coming back already? Like, when? And these angels show up, and they remind us of something really important, that it's not time for us to be in heaven yet, that we have assignments here on earth. That there is part of us that's always wanting to look up and, and, and get out of the dusty reality of where we're at. But, but the truth is in this time, in this time but, uh, that we live out the gospel as his people, as his church, we are called to live it here, not look off into the distance, not be separated forever from those who need the gospel. And the angels show up, and they don't just ask them that question. Uh, they send them back. They send them back to Jerusalem. 
They send them back to a crowded, smelly, dirty city. And I think it's really important that we think about that for a little bit. Because I know that often I look to spiritual places to find out what Jesus is doing. I think I need to go on a retreat. And retreats are great. I need to go to church. Church is great. I'm, we need all those things. But that's not the only places we find we encounter Jesus. We encounter Jesus in the normal, messy, broken, dirty, noisy places of our lives. And we see here that actually the disciples are, are told to stop being on this hill, thinking about Jesus, and go back to the city. Jesus often isn't where we expect him to be. He's in the broken, the difficult places, the places of failure. And Jesus sends us those, to those places. Dr. Willie Jennings writes this about the book of Acts, which, to remind us, is really our story, the story of what it means to follow Jesus as part of his church. He writes this, he writes, the deepest reality of life in the spirit depicted in the book of Acts is that the disciples of Jesus rarely, if ever, go where they want to go or to whom they would want to go. Indeed, the spirit seems to always be pressing the disciples to go to those to whom they would, in fact, strongly prefer never to share a space or a meal and definitely not life together. Yet it is precisely this prodding to the boundary transgressing that marks the presence of the Spirit of God. And what Dr. Jennings talks about in his commentary on, in the book of Acts is basically this, that when the Spirit comes and we receive that power that Jesus promised, he said, we're not throwing the Romans out, instead you're getting the Holy Spirit, is that people start, everybody's going where they didn't want to go. Everybody's going where they didn't expect to be because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It sends us into these places and somehow the kingdom of God is, is manifest there and we get to be part and we discover that Jesus is at work in places we never thought he could be. And we get to be part of it. And so when you and I, we respond to this, this invitation, this invitation to be on mission, when we respond to, um, when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit and live in that, we end up going to places we never wanted to go and we didn't expect Jesus to be. And one of the things I've found in my own life is that sometimes that's, those are painful places. And we think, God, how could you ever do anything? How could you heal anything? How could you, and yet sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's a place we didn't think we'd stay or a place we didn't think we'd go to, but Jesus is able to meet us in all those places. And he says, don't worry, there'll be a time to, to, to meet the Lord in the air as the scriptures tell us, but right now our mission is here on earth. And finally, in this passage, we see that Jesus invites us to his mission. There's this idea that Jesus transforms the expectation of what it's going to be like to be a disciple. That it's not about political power, it's not about those things, but it's this, the power of the Holy Spirit that isn't our power, it's his power, right? And it invites us to his mission, his ends. And the amazing thing about the book of Acts is the disciples go back 
to Jerusalem after this encounter. And what do they do? They pray. They pray until the Holy Spirit comes. And then what do they do? They, they preach and they pray for people, baptize people, and then they like pray some more. And then they share all their food and then they give everything away, right? They, what happens to them is that they move into a posture of dependency and prayer that becomes mission. Because the mission in the book of Acts looks something like this. Obey, wait, pray, act, right? And then do it again. Like, wait, pray. Like, these are the things they're doing. There's nobody who knows all that's happening. Nobody has a master plan. It's not looking exactly the way they expected it to be, but yet in the midst of it, they are, they're postured in a way that says, everything I have is yours, Lord. My money, my land, my life, and I'll love my neighbor as myself and we'll go and we'll live out this gospel, not in a confrontation to the powers that be, but to subvert it as we live by a different kind of power, a different, a different worldview because the kingdom of God isn't like any other kingdom. And that's the invitation. And for me, it's so freeing because you know, in my life, I've always felt a lot of pressure that like, I have to figure it out. Have you ever felt like that? Like, what has God, what is God's purpose for my life? I better not miss it. And those of us who grow, grew up in church might have felt that way before. Others of you are like, yeah, I never really thought about it. That's cool, too. Um, but the reality here is, is that our mission isn't about us figuring it out. It's Jesus' mission, it's his power, it's his church, it's his grace, it's his love, it's his transforming work, and our part is simply to join him, and that requires us surrendering and saying, Jesus, you're in charge of my life, and it requires us living in that posture of dependency and prayer, but not of having to figure it all out. Jesus, what is it you're inviting me to do right here, right now? How can I live by your kingdom, not by this world, in this place? And in those, that type of faithful obedience, we find that God breaks through, and he'll get us where we need to be. And as I was studying this week, I came across this prayer that it's attributed to Teresa of Avila, one of the, the mystics of of. Um, the church and, and a great spiritual writer. And she wrote this. She wrote, God of love, help us to remember that Christ has no body now on earth but ours, no hands but ours, no feet but ours. Ours are the eyes to see the needs of the world. Ours are the hands with which to bless everyone now. Ours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. That somehow in this season, this time, Jesus has entrusted us to be his hands and feet. We get to join him. We don't have to always understand all about it, but we get to love our neighbor as ourselves. We get to speak life and hope to those that have none. We get to enter into a place and know that no matter the circumstance, there is something that we can believe in and trust far beyond that, even when the world around us doesn't make sense, that we're people that live with hope. And that's 
the invitation here. And Jesus didn't give them all the details, but we see this played out in the book of Acts after he said, hey, you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Go. Take, be my hands and feet. Live out the truth of the love of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in need. We are invited to mission. And this is the thing. Sometimes there are places that we don't, there are questions we have, and questions are good. I have lots of questions. There's things we wrestle with, and there's lots to wrestle with. Our world is full of suffering and hardship. But I love this passage because it reminds me that one, that Jesus has room for all of that. There was no correction in Jesus. Like, Jesus was fine with the, the question the disciples were asking. We get to ask that stuff to Jesus. He may not answer it right away, but he can handle our questions. And yet, even in the midst of unresolved questions, Jesus has an invitation to participate in what he's doing in the world. That we don't have to wait to figure it all out. We don't have to wait to understand it all to say, Jesus, here I am in my job, in, in my apartment building. Here I am and here I am in the midst of my family that I don't even really want to like be on the family text group anymore. But like here I am. Could it be that the power of the Holy Spirit has something for me to do right here, right now that would bring your love, your hope, in your mission to fruition here. We each have a part to play. We are his hands and his feet. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you are not a God who is distant, but you're a God who speaks. You're a God who's near. You're a God who has given your people your, the spirit of God and we are, have your power. And Lord, I pray for those of us in this room, Lord, if there are areas where we've just been stuck because it isn't the way it was supposed to be. That right now, Lord, you would whisper to us, Lord, just how we just Say, Lord, what are you doing here? You're at work. Help me to be part of what you're doing. Lord, in the places of disappointment or even just distraction, Lord, would you open our ears so we could hear you and your invitation to be about your, the Father's business? that we would embody the love and the hope of Jesus in every place. And how we go down the street and how we budget our finances and how we talk to our families, Lord. Would you give us power to live the way you've called us to live? Because the truth is it's harder to live that way in the normal places of life <laughs> than in the extra ordinary places. It's the day-by-day day day places. Lord, would you open our eyes to what you're doing and give us hope and courage to be part of that?
in Jesus' name.